Grace, mercy, and peace be upon you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. You know, every, every once in a while, uh, television produces something that is worth watching. Uh, every once in a while, there seems to be a show that just hits right. Uh, in 2019, Fox, borrowing from the incredibly popular franchise in South Korea, uh, brought the masked singer to America. Now, I'm going to be I'm going to be honest. A reality singing competition is not novel. Uh, but in this case, the contestant, the contestant is wearing a head-to-toe costume that hides their identity, both from the judges and from the viewing population. Now, the panel of judges, along with the viewers, they vote on their favorite masked singer, and the least popular is, of course, eliminated. Uh, but not before revealing the true identity. Now, if I'm honest, this, this is my favorite part. In fact, I'll be radically honest with you, never watched a whole episode ever. But on YouTube, all of the reveals are there for you. So you don't, you don't have to watch the rest of it. You can just watch the reveal. Truly, I love like how flabbergasted the judges are when they see, quote, the true identity of the singer revealed. Now, my favorite of all that I've watched is the dancing and singing gnome. Yep, that gnome, right? The one that you probably have in your gardens. That, you know, sans the singing and the dancing. Nevertheless, the singing gnome. When that person was revealed, the judges were absolutely stunned. Three of the four literally got up on the judge's table in what I think was a show of respect, and the fourth judge was in tears as their childhood idol smiles with a grin that so many people have come to know and love. The smile of Dick Van Dyke. Now what makes, this is interesting, what makes the masked singer in the first five seasons that it was in America, what makes it the high, listen, the highest rated non-sports program among 18 to 49 year olds. You're welcome. The highest rated non-sports program for 18 to 49 year olds. It's not the set. That's not what makes it most popular. It's not the host. It's not even the incredibly well-designed and award-winning costumes that make it so popular. It is the, the big reveal. It's the moment when everybody, judges and viewers included, get to see who the singer really is. Now, yesterday, January 6th, it was the big reveal, kind of. Uh, down throughout the generations and through the centuries, January 6th has marked the day of epiphany. This is the day that the Magi arrive at the house of Mary and Joseph and a young Jesus, it's there that these wise men from the east present those gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, signaling that this king would not only be king of Israel, but that he would be king for the whole world, that he would indeed be, quote, a light to the Gentiles. The epiphany, that which we celebrate on January 6th, that, that big reveal, it signals the fulfillment 
of a prophecy in Isaiah 42. The prophet writes there, he says, I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nation. And in his name, the Gentiles will put their hope. Or even Isaiah 49, where Isaiah says, I will give you as a light to the Gentiles so that my salvation can reach to the ends of the earth. In other words, the arrival of the Magi is a big moment. It is a big reveal, kind of. You know, when we think about it, if the Magi were the ones who showed up to the house of Mary and Joseph, or even if we follow the less theologically accurate that the Magi came to the stable, who else really knows? Was that a big reveal to the whole world, right? I mean, who knows? Joseph and Mary, who can we just say already know that Jesus is kind of supposed to be a big deal? Right? Like Immaculate Conception, message from Gabriel, right? The words of Simeon and like they already know. Now we could say that Herod knows. I mean, Herod knows certainly that the Magi have come to look for a new king, but he doesn't really know who this Jesus is. And quite frankly, I think the theological significance of a light to the Gentiles would have fallen on the deaf ears of Herod. Epiphany, Epiphany, however, is not just a day. It's not just January 6th. Epiphany is a season, a season like Advent. So if you were here with us during the season of Advent, you, you remember that, that Advent is a season of preparation, right, of preparing our hearts for the coming of the king, both as a babe in Bethlehem, but also as a king who's going to come for a new heaven and a new earth. And epiphany, epiphany is a season about revelation, about revelation, the revealing that Jesus is who he says he is. That Jesus is who the Magi say that he is, who Simeon says he is, who Anna says he is. Epiphany is a season of revelation, of God revealed in the person of Jesus. Now, theologians down throughout the centuries have remarked that if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know what God is like, then look at Jesus. He is, after all, God revealed. And friends, this, this is a significant thing, like a, like a, like a really significant thing. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, God tends to keep himself hidden. Uh, he will reveal himself in some, let's just say, different kind of ways. Uh, God will reveal himself as a, as a burning bush, as a pillar of fire, as a cloud of smoke. In fact, time and time again in the Old Testament, those saints down throughout the centuries feared seeing God face to face. They were certain that if they saw God face to face, they would die. Now, they have good reason. The Lord says as much. Right? In Exodus chapter 33, God is talking to Moses, and God says, You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. So their fear is well-founded, right? Like God himself says, you can't see me face 
to face. Now, Moses in Exodus 33, like he wants to see God's glory. He wants to see the, the one whose presence is going to go with them through the wilderness and into the promised land. Moses actually wants God to reveal himself, but God says to him, no way. Instead, instead in Exodus 33, this is, this is God's reply to Moses. He says, well, when my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of a rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I'm going to remove my hand, and you will see my back. That's the best you get in the Old Testament, right? You get a pillar of fire, a cloud of smoke, a burning bush, and God's backside. Like, that, that's it. God has kept himself hidden from the saints. Now, today... Today we find ourselves at the very beginning of Mark's gospel, or as Mark himself says, the beginning of the good news of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Now John Mark, the writer of this gospel, he is a close companion of Peter. Yes, that one, right? The water walker slash sinker, right? The one who denied Jesus, and at the same time is the one who professed Jesus to be the Messiah, that Peter. John Mark was probably a disciple of Peter, and the writing of his gospel is based on the retelling of Peter's experience with Jesus, and no doubt having sat under sermon after sermon after sermon as Peter preached to people. So this morning, we're going to get a glimpse of the big, the big reveal as the mask comes off and we see the true identity of this Jesus. So if you want to follow along, you'll want to grab a Bible, Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Mark 1, verse 1. Mark 1, verse 1. So New Testament, go past Matthew, get to Mark. Mark 1, verse 1. As you get there, it is interesting that Mark, Mark begins his good news of Jesus not with a birth story. Matthew begins with a birth story. Luke begins with a birth story. Even John begins with a birth story. Those, his is like crazy theological, word made flesh and all, right? Mark doesn't begin with any of that. No birth story. Mark begins, listen, Mark begins the good news of Jesus. He begins the good news of Jesus with John the Baptist preaching repentance in a wilderness while wearing probably like organic camel, right? And eating bugs and honey. Like that's the beginning of the good news of Jesus. And friends, while I joke about it, starting there is really important. You see, John the Baptist, John the Baptist is embodying and fulfilling the prophetic vision of Isaiah chapter 40 where the prophet provides to God's people the promise, the promise that God will reveal himself to the world. And so in Isaiah 40, we read this. It says, in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. Listen. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together. In other words, after the messenger prepares the way, God will reveal himself. 
Now, Mark also makes clear that John's message was both a call to repentance, but also, and this is important, so verse 7, the message of John, verse 7, it's not only a call to repentance, it is also this. John says, after me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now again, important detail, a detail that you and I probably think like, yes, of course the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, that's how the package works. We, we get it. But here's the thing. There is, in this message of John, an echo of the prophet Joel. Joel, in chapter 2, prophesies this. He says, now, this is God speaking through Joel. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth. Listen, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In other words, the prophet Joel sees the time when God's presence would break into the world. Or another way to say it is that God will reveal himself as he brings a heavenly kingdom to earth. So basically, Mark is setting up his gospel, right? The beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ. He is setting up the big reveal. Starting in the wilderness, the fulfillment of Isaiah 40 and Joel number two, both of which are preparing the reader, you and me, for God to reveal himself. Like, we're, we're ready for God to do his thing. And what do we read next? This is verse nine. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Ta-da! Like, that's it. I get, right? It's not the same as a mask and the goofy grin and a Dick Van Dyke, right? Not a singing, dancing gnome. I get, but this is it. Like, this is the big reveal. This is a simple and a straightforward way of taking the mask off. And to put an exclamation point on it, verse 10, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. In case there was any doubt, this is the definitive voice of the Father. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. See, this is mask off, an identity revealed. Now, arguably, the voice of the Father is only heard by Jesus. Uh, here, in Mark's gospel, the Father doesn't say, this is my son, but rather he says, you are my son. It is, nevertheless, for those of us reading this good news of Jesus, it is, nevertheless, God revealed now, if we were to read the remainder of the gospel, the remainder of Mark's writing of the gospel, we would see time and time again that Mark continues to tell the story in such a way 
that the reader must conclude that Jesus is the Christ, the very Son of God. And if that's true, if that's true, if when we look at Jesus, we get to see God face to face, then what does this narrative tell us about God himself? If theologians down throughout the century says, you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. If when we look at this moment, what does it tell us about God himself? Friends, it tells us that God is good. You know, there are many people today, and maybe even some of us in this room, who are living by a false narrative. Namely, that God is a harsh judge. Uh, This narrative was certainly believed by the people of Israel, that God demands a uh, a sort of tallying up of all of their good works. And if they could just tally up enough of their good works, then God would be merciful. There are lots of us today who live in the same way, believing, even if unconsciously, that God is a judge who is watching to make sure that we do just the right amount of good so that he can be merciful. There are those of us living in the room who are living by by the least common denominator, who are living at the minimum, right? I, I, if, if, if I go to worship once in a while, if I pray occasionally, if I attempt to read my Bible, if I give here and there, surely, surely that's enough for God to love me. But this kind of believing and behaving, friends, it belies the narrative that we somehow believe that God is judgmental and his his mind needs to be changed. Now, in the weeks to come, we're going to talk that God is holy and how his holiness and that that his holiness somehow is intolerance to sin. But, But that being true, it doesn't have anything to do with his goodness. What God reveals today is exactly that, that he is good. That in spite of Israel's sinfulness, that in spite of Israel's waning affection, in spite of their wandering hearts and in spite of their idolatry, in spite of our sinfulness and our waning affections, in spite of our wandering and our idolatry, God is still good. God would send his son in spite of all those things. He sent his son into the very mess we've made of the world. He sent his son to inhabit our shabby human lives so that when our faith, when our faith rests in the one who was revealed to the world, when our faith rests in Jesus, we get to hear the definitive voice of the Father say, you are my daughter, and you, you are my son, whom I love, and 
I'm well pleased with you. So when our faith rests in Jesus, we hear the voice of God say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When our faith rests in Jesus, then we are enveloped into his life, mysteriously and miraculously connected to Jesus, interestingly, in the waters of our own baptisms, where, as Paul says, we are buried with Christ so that we can be raised with him to new life. The beginning of the good news about Jesus is that God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus. I love Mark's gospel, friends, because it doesn't have anything before this. Now, don't get me wrong, I, I love the birth stories, and those are fun, and if you really like a good census, like, great, go read Luke. But, but I love, I love that Mark doesn't tell us anything before this. Mark doesn't sort of help us understand his infancy, doesn't help us understand his toddler years or his teenage years. Mark is just absolutely silent about anything that's happened before this. And I think that's significant So if we look at that moment when Jesus comes up out of the water and God says to him, you are my son whom I love. And at this point, according to Mark, what what has Jesus done to earn that love? Nothing. Jesus isn't loved as the son because he somehow tallied up just enough good. He's loved because he's the son. That's significant for you and me as we rest in Jesus, the one who is God revealed. As we rest in that truth, and we also get to hear you're a daughter and a son, not because you've tallied up just enough good, but because you're you. You know, Mark. Mark reminds us that God would take on human form, that he would embody the kind of life that we can't live, that he would live in complete obedience to the Father's word, and that he would receive the death that our sins deserve, that he'd be forsaken by the one whom he's known from eternity that he would be buried, that he would descend into hell, that he would proclaim liberty to those being held by the enemy, and then he would rise, defeating death and the devil. This, friends, is the good news of Jesus. This is, friends, the news of God revealed. God revealed for you and for me. As we continue in this season of epiphany, as we continue in this preaching series of God Revealed, as we look at the words and the ways of Jesus, we'll discover a God who is generous, and one who is trustworthy, and one who is holy, and one who is love, and one who is transforming. Friends, that is good news, good news revealed for you and for me. 
And so now may the peace of God, which surpasses all of our human understanding, may guard and keep our hearts in Christ Jesus today and every day. Amen?